innovative Often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow What I take it Hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious bruh I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk You painted skunks You played enough I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight WHUPLP Hillsborough, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast, and we are coming to you remotely this week. I'm still traveling for work, but through the miracle of modern technology, me and Trevor were able to record not only a news segment, but we have two interviews for you this week. More on that in just a second. First, I want to let you know you can find us on Facebook at Cageside Radio, on Twitter at Cageside WHUP, and on Instagram at Cageside Whoop as well. Our email is CagesideWhoop at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up and let us know uh, what you think of the show as well as suggestions for future events. So we have two interviews this week uh, right after our news segment. Our first interview is going to be a replay with Samantha Fallhaber. Samantha Fallhaber, uh, who is a black belt with Gracie Humaicha, uh, competed in uh, the first ever women's black belt match in the state of North Carolina has some tremendous thoughts about body mobility, about jujitsu, about human health, and uh, had a lot of fun interviewing her. And her interview kind of got lost in the shuffle, I thought, with all the events around the carnival. And so we have a spot for a 20-minute interview this week. So we're going to let you hear from Sam again. Our news segment is going to mention two uh, really excellent fighting happenings with local folks. So uh, we'll get to that in a second. But one of those local folks who is no longer local is Michael Abad Santos. Michael Santos moved to Denver uh, from North Carolina. Uh, He trained jiu-jitsu out here, fought MMA out here, then moved to Denver to pursue a Muay Thai career. And next weekend at Lion Fights 29 on May 27th, he will be fighting on short notice at the Foxwoods Casino on a really high-profile show. Uh, We thought that was really exciting for him, so we wanted to help promote that. Um, We'll have ticket information for you both in the interview which we'll play later and we'll post it on facebook as well also i want to tell you two things about that interview by way of preview uh the first is i want to apologize for the sound quality we were doing a conference call with me on the road and trevor back in north carolina and we did the best we could you can hear it it's not up to our regular quality standards but we really wanted to get an interview with mike before his fight uh so that we could promote that and so uh, just uh, bear with us on that the second thing, one of the best parts of the interview is uh, Michael, I asked him about his favorite Halloween costume, and I'll let you hear how that unfolds in the interview, but the upshot is Denver Comic Con is coming up, and Michael Santos is looking for a costume idea, and he agreed uh, to abide by the results of a concussion cast listener poll, and so after his fight, I'm going to post uh, a thread where people can suggest whatever martial arts slash video game related costume you want him to wear to Denver Comic Con. And I think you'll find that he's open to many possibilities. So with that said, I hope you enjoy the show. We have interviews with Samantha Fallhaber and Michael Abad Santos ready for you. But first, we're going to get into the news segment with me and Trevor. Through the miracle of modern technology, me and Trevor are recording the show with me up in Boston and Trevor back in the home of all things good and decent, Cary, North Carolina. Is that where you are, Trevor? Uh, I'm in Apex, the peak of good living. Yeah. Indeed. And you know, you can't reach the peak of good living without a little bit of striking, without a little bit of punching, a little bit of kicking. And I understand you were able to watch and corner some of that uh, at, the, at the kickboxing show this past weekend. Yeah, um, this past weekend, uh, kickboxing came back to Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, it was very, uh, very cool to have it there. Um, sadly, there were a couple of matches that were scratched last second due to weight issues, and it would not allow people to get rematched up day of. Uh, it was a little bonkers. Um, for example, uh, Gustavo ended up not being able to fight on the show, which was quite a bummer. Yeah, that's Gustavo Navarrete, right? And that happened just the day of. I saw that he weighed in and everything, but they still wouldn't let the fight go on. Someone who fight a weight class below him um, the day before the fight. He agrees to it. The commission will allow that. Um, however, he ended, up, he ended up cutting five pounds. The other guy was supposed to put on weight. The other guy decided to not put on weight. So it ended up being like roughly a 10-pound weight difference. And they were both saying at the weigh-ins, yeah, cool, let's fight, da-da-da. 
you know, we didn't hear anything saying that the fight was canceled while we were at the weigh-in, and uh, they ended up canceling it when we got back to the venue, so that was a little ridiculous. Um, the North Carolina Boxing Commission is kind of makes it a little bit harder and harder for North Carolina to have some legitimacy when stuff like that goes on. Um, it's also, just just from a personal perspective, it's got to be super frustrating to cut the weight, be expect to fight, and then not get the uh, ability to do that because cutting the weight's the hard part. It's the part that's really, really awful. Yeah, he, uh, well, he was already, you know, he was on weight already for uh, his fight and he had to cut extra weight. And it was just, you know, it sucked. It was kind of a raw deal. Um, definitely, definitely not cool. Yeah, the, the rest of the show ended up going really well. Um, yeah, Tony Charles and TJJ, your teammates, uh, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and working out with, uh, they both went 2-0. Uh, Tong had a very, uh, he came out throwing bombs the whole fight. Um, I believe he fought someone from Wilmington. I couldn't remember who he fought. I'm terrible at this recap stuff. <laughs> he fought a man. He was looking like a man. Um, and uh, they missed Swan reference on TV. Uh, Charles SF had a great fight. He did outstanding. I was really impressed with Charles' performance. Very technical, very decisive win. Um, let's see. Then uh, I cornered Jason Jordan and Evan Daniels. They train at Open Garden Apex, and they cross-train quite a bit uh, at Forge Fitness. And uh, Jason ended up losing by TKO in the second, which is a bummer, but hey, it happens. Uh, it was actually the ref said it was the his nose. He got hit. The shot in his nose just gushed out. I was like, ah, oh, that was a lot of blood. So that just stopped that. Uh, and then Evan won by TKO in the second round. That was a very, uh, that was a good fight. Evan, uh, you know, he went through some old habits. Had, he started to brawl a bit, which tried to get him not to do, but he came out with TKO victory, so. Uh, always back to the drawing board with him. Um, let's see. On the pro side of the kickboxing, uh, our friend Harold Hubbard, uh, his fight went to a draw. That was a full five rounds, right? Yeah, that was a full five rounds of fighting. Um, so Harold was all right, you know, he was uh, nice and loose, and he was putting the, he was got out there doing his thing, and uh, I guess the judges just, I, I mean, the fight really could have gone either way, but they were a little bit of draw. Um, and then, on the other side of the pro card, uh, there was one of the, like worst knockouts I've seen in person happen. That it, it was like the whole place went silent and then it went nuts. When this happened, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, it was the guy that Dewan just fought. Dewan's last fight. Do you remember his name? I don't, because he was a last minute replacement. But uh, but but that dude is a, a strong, athletic, and explosive guy. So he was getting shellacked for the whole fight. Uh, he was fighting DJ Miller, I'm friends with his coach Chris Beasley from Tennessee with Sizzle and Paul Muay Thai. Uh, great group of guys, and DJ just was putting on a clinic with his strength and clinch work knees. It was outstanding. And out of nowhere, boom, big right hand fights over. Uh, like, DJ was not off that canvas. Like, he was he was out for five minutes, I think. Oh. It was real bad. That's terrifying. What, what did he get hit with? I just, I, he just walked into a cross. Oh, that that was something else. Uh, and then also, and then um, after that, um, to the boxing side, our friend Chris McNeil, he's a MMA fighter turned uh, boxer, uh, pro boxer now. Uh, he walked away with a first round KO victory. Yeah, I know Chris trains really hard, and it, and I always like to see guys that are MMA fighters or grapplers that turn to striking. Or I always like to see guys training in different disciplines. So, give me your overall impressions of the card. Was it a, a was it a good um, reintroduction to kickboxing in the triangle? Do you anticipate that this will lead to bigger, better things? I came to the show. I believe they had a good time. You know, everyone had fun at the show, from what I heard. Um, you know, there's some stuff going on in the back, like uh, there's some issues with gloves and, and equipment, and uh, for, for the coaches and the fighters, it was kind of a stressful thing because there were several... There were several uh, rule changes throughout the training camp for the guys. Um, it, it was kind of frustrating. You know, the North Carolina Boxing Commission can sometimes not be the easiest uh, 
group of people to work with. Um, so, you know, hopefully that we, we can get everything worked out so as a smooth transition for guys to have kick, more kickboxing shows here, more kickboxing fights, and bring a bit of legitimacy to the North Carolina fight scene. Um, so I think overall, you know, the, the partnership between Triangle Kickboxing Promotions and One Hit Boxing Promotions is a good time. Uh, everyone that went had a great time, so it was good to see it come back. Well, that's important stuff, and hopefully that leads to bigger and better things with um, striking and the triangle. And speaking of bigger and better things, Trevor, I, I uh, we're going to break some news here, Trevor, uh, because I just see on Facebook, six minutes ago, Jordan Rinaldi has signed with the UFC and is fighting April Trujillo at the end of May. Oh, wow. That's a big fight for him. That's a, a huge congratulations go out to Jordan, who is one of the nicer guys in, in local martial arts and a certain super accomplished brown belt uh, in jiu-jitsu as well as... Uh, you know, obviously an accomplished MMA fighter as well. And Abel Trujillo is, is no joke. He's always a game opponent. So that's, that's a big, big fight. Well, so do you, have, do you have immediate reactions other than just the obvious, wow, we're happy for Jordan? No, no, that's just, wow, that is a big fight, you know. I hope, uh, so he's fighting at the end of May. May 29th. Wow, so, you know, hopefully he's, uh, he's ready for him. I, I believe, you know, Jordan had an upcoming title fight already set for somewhere in Pennsylvania. I'm guessing maybe he's bailing on that to go fight in the UFC. That's uh, awesome for him. But that is a that is a huge, huge fight to take on Jordan's notice. Yes. And, I mean, I suppose the issue is, and I've sent Jordan a message asking if we can interview him in anticipation of the fight for the show because I think both you and I would love that opportunity. But I think it's one of those situations where if you get that call, you, you, you have to take the fight. Even, you know, and Jordan's always in shape. Yeah, he, he, he's always training. He's always in shape. He's already, he's always uh, willing to take a fight at the drop of the hat. You know, I believe he did that when he was fighting with the, the Legacy fighting promotion for a while. I think that was, was that Legacy? Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe so. So the unfortunate thing is, uh, as the listeners will hear this, the Next Level Fight Club Championship in uh, event in Raleigh will have taken place the night before the podcast, but we couldn't pre-record the podcast and get your results, so we will post results to our Facebook page. If you want, you can go back and check out the interview we did with Jay Quitfield, who fought on the card last night, and uh, we will recap the card uh, the next week. So, Yeah, I may be able to put updates if they allow me back on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because of all the things to get bounced for from Facebook, having a, uh, a whimsical middle name that isn't your legal middle name seems to be a pretty silly one. Trev- Trevor got bounced from Facebook for being wham, bam, bump, bump. Yeah, that was a little outrageous. But hey, it happens. It's not the end of the world. Indeed. The next um, next big jiu-jitsu tournament is going to be June, the beginning of June, which is the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships. And... Uh, so if you're competing at the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships, let us know. The people that I know from out here that are competing uh, are going to be uh, Mary Holmes, uh, Purple Belt from Chapel, Bill, Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, um, our own Shayla Tu, Blue Belt from Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, Kim Rice, Purple Belt from Triangle Jiu-Jitsu is going to be competing. Um, and, and so we'll watch that, and I will actually be out there covering that live. So, because luck, as luck would have it, work is sending me to California the week of the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships. Thanks, work. Uh, so yes, yeah, so we'll have uh, we'll have news and updates from that. And if you know of anyone from North Carolina or surrounding areas that's competing, please send me a message. We would love to follow you, maybe interview you out in California, and get you on the show. So that's the news. Some of you may know our first guest, Samantha Fallhaber, from her series of jiu-jitsu seminars. Some of you may know her as a Gracie Black Belt, Gracie Humaicha Black Belt, who competes regularly, gets on the podium a lot, and was the main eventer at the Cage Side Concussion Cast Carnival, along with uh, Caitlin Huggins in a really epic match that I hope you get the chance to watch. Some of you may know her uh, from her Instagram or her website at Stretch and Align, or at Move Well Philly, where uh, she teaches a lot about body movement, about body mechanics, about keeping uh, your body healthy for your life as well as your jiu-jitsu career. However you know Sam, I think you'll be really interested. If you haven't heard this interview before, we're going to replay it just because I think it deserves a little bit more run. So without any further ado, here's Sam Fallhaber. So Sam, how did you get started training jiu-jitsu? 
Um, I started in 2002 or 2003. My dad wanted me to get involved for self-defense reasons. We saw the UFC stuff when we were little kids and um, finally found a place opened up in Little Salisbury, Maryland with Miles Moffat of Southside Jiu-Jitsu Club. And um, I watched one class, saw they did a basic arm bar, went back, practiced on my boyfriend. He didn't like it. And I signed up. <laughs> I was none that's just nobody expected me to or my dad didn't expect me to run with it and uh, move around the country for it and be on the radio for it someday. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's very pleased that you stuck with it. Sure. You definitely would not rather me be a doctor or a lawyer at all. Nope. <laughs> but you can choke a doctor or a lawyer that's and that's true. basically the same thing. Pretty much. Or at least threaten them until they treat me. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's, it, all, it all boils down to that. So, so you've been training for years. You're a black belt now, and you've been doing black belt competitions. Uh, what, what have you taken away from the competition experience so this far into jiu-jitsu? Man, I, I, I started taking it really seriously in 2007 or 8 when I was a blue belt. And, um, you know, I've, I've won some big things. I've been in the finals a lot of times of, of Pan Ams and Worlds, and only won a, a few of them. It's kind of a running joke at this point. And I got my black belt after winning Pan Ams at Brown Belt last year. And... It's opened up opportunities for me, for sure. Like, I've traveled around the world now. I have friends everywhere. But some of these things are given to anybody that trains jiu-jitsu as part of the beauty of it, is having a bunch of locals as your friends anywhere that you want to go that you can meet, lie on top of, and try to choke for a little while and go find out where the best place to eat is. Um, but I've also been able to do a few seminars around the world and things since. Um, I am still just in the budding part of, of trying to compete at Black Belt. Um, so I'm excited to, to be part of the uh, event tomorrow um, and see how that goes with, uh, with Caitlin and I. I'll try to put on a good show for you guys. That's a great segue. So thank you very much for competing. You, you know, Sam is the main event uh, tomorrow with Caitlin Huggins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, C- Caitlin is naturally, I think, about a weight class above you, but you're not, you're not so far apart as for it to be... For, for it to be silly sure, by yeah. any means. And so... Um, Especially when I eat cookies a lot. Yeah, as you should. Yes. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu is all about choking, arm-locking, and eating cookies. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, as, as you know, we've been talking about this, and this is the first ever black belt women's match in the state of North Carolina, which kind really? of... Really? Yeah. I didn't know that, actually. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really surprised me, too. But, but, um, but you know, I talked to just about everybody who's been around North Carolina Jiu-Jitsu, and... and uh, we it, it's just never happened before so it's I've, very cool that you guys have it as the main event i really you know i appreciate that um didn't have to do that so it's just kind of fun that <laughs> i get to be a part of it it's really neat thank you oh yeah of course of course we're all about community events and it's it's really nice when you can do something that's also has some historical significance and especially you know as, as you know as someone you know you and caitlin are both active competitors you're both people that you know teach a lot but also also train and, and to compete so i think it'll be i think it'll be a great event do you have, do you have a game plan going into events like this or do you is, <laughs> is that <laughs> you're you're laughing but is that the, is it the kind of thing where you just do your jujitsu and see what happens i or? probably should have more of a game plan than i do but that's been the case for several years of competition now um that i you know there was a while where my teammates knew better than to even tell me that like the brackets were up because i'm like i don't care i don't want to know it's going to be hard no matter what for a super fight like this it would make a lot more sense for me to be like i only have one person to worry about then i could study their game but i just kind of always figure that what will happen will happen and i will try my hardest and hopefully show up and do well and impose my will upon another person and shake hands with them afterwards and that's the goal and if not we still laugh about it and have a good time um so yes i i don't i would not advise that if i had a friend that was was trying to go to a competition and they had a, a set match with somebody i would say yeah you might as well look them up and know something about them but i just kind of have a lot of other stuff going on in my life right now so i haven't really spent the time on on researching Miss Huggins. <laughs> well, that's sort of also the Marcelo Garcia philosophy, right? Like where I'm going to try and do my thing, yeah. and if I can do successfully my thing, the other person isn't going to be able Doesn't to do my thing. Doesn't even matter, yeah. yeah and, then, and then we're going <laughs> to smile and have fun afterward and go ride our bicycle around New York City. Well, well, if, at <laughs> yes, least exactly. Marcelo Garcia. Uh, so, yeah, so in addition to jiu-jitsu, and like I want to talk about how the body work that you do sort of informs your jiu-jitsu and how you got into that as well. So maybe you can start by sort of describing your business to well, folks. Well, um, the thing that's been more distracting for me from from jiu-jitsu i still train minimum four times a week usually more than that um but i have a a business in philadelphia um stretch and align llc which started out as a a thai bodywork practice um 
we had a rehab therapist training with us for a while named Joy Carey. It was great. And she went to Thailand to learn Thai massage and left me with some DVDs. And I discovered this was a form of body work that used leverage and body mechanics and knowing people's limits to manipulate another person's body. Except you use it for forces of good instead of evil. So this is a great yin to the yang of jiu-jitsu. Um, and jiu-jitsu was a surprisingly good background to have for something. But it's all about body awareness. I know somebody that's a great dancer that's very good at Thai massage, too. Um, it's just body awareness and kinesthetic. Um, yeah, kinesthetic ability. Um, so I about six months or so ago, I started studying with uh, Dr. Andrea Spina out of Toronto, um, going to a couple of his classes around the States. And, you know, if you're interested in, in movement therapy stuff, I love the program. It's called Functional Range Conditioning or FRC. And it's, I started getting impatient with how body work is great. Thai massage, if you've never had it, uses um, leverage and mechanics to put you through range of motion and stretching. So it's passive, you're totally relaxed. And you get bent. It's often referred to as having yoga done to you while you stay relaxed is the catchphrase and kind of in the industry. Um, but... I care more about whether or not somebody has an active range of motion than a passive range of motion nowadays. Um, if we're just trying to relax you is one thing, but can you lift your arm over your head before you can do a pull-up? Can you, you know, for jiu-jitsu, which re requires such an incredible demand of range of motion and loaded range of motion where something is not only weighted on top of your range of motion, it is also trying to kill you and change that <laughs> range of motion. Um, it's so important to be able to control your body in so many different circumstances. So my new goal now is to try to figure out how to help people have more active range of motion, um, which define as, for example, I've, I've always been flexible. Um, if I do, I can stop people from passing my guard in stupid ways. Like I can do a split or if one of my teachers says that being flexible, Tim Sylvester in Gracie Philadelphia says being flexible is sort of the same thing as cheating by being strong. It's just using a natural gift, so to speak, even if you worked for it, um, to overcompensate for lack of technique sometimes. <laughs> and I've definitely found that. You haven't passed my guard because my leg's doing a split, but I can't bring you back. I, I have no power there. Um, and wouldn't it be nice if I had a short range of motion or a long range of motion where my leg is extended or my hook is pinched to my butt and I can actually do something with it? So... All of that is trying to say that I want people to have better control over every range of their bodies um, and reduce injuries in jiu-jitsu and any other sport is kind of my, my goal now. I think those are great that was a goals. lot. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I think, I think it's important because a lot of, you know, many of the folks in the audience have had Thai massage, and if you haven't, go out and get one because it's amazing. And, and many, you know, and I think that's a subset of our audience, and even an even smaller subset will know about body work more generally. And so I think you've given a good... A primary explanation for it. You mentioned about injury prevention. And in addition to like sort of making your body feel good, what do you think some of the benefits of, you know, why does expanding our one's range of motion the way that massage does, why does that help us prevent injuries? Well, the, well, this is, this is where I've, I've kind of shifted gears a bit in my, my opinions about it. I think that, um, range of motion that you quote unquote gain from a massage or passive stretching, um, is not useful. And or certainly not as useful as I used to think it was. And I, I am living proof of that with the guard passing example and such. Um, I think it's much more important that you're able to um, sort of like, let's say you have a, a map between your body and your brain and you have a certain range of that map that you've explored and you're comfortable with. But jujitsu is a great example of what happens when you're forced outside of that known map. Um, you might get hurt, right? You get people, especially new people or wider blue belts that get these pulled ribs and like weird stuff or they post out and their wrist hurts and, you know, how many unfortunately knee injuries and shoulder injuries we have in this sport. And yes, there's to some degree, it's a sport, that stuff's going to happen. But the more you are consciously aware of how to control your body in a larger range of motion and there's a connection between your brain and that... Everybody should do, should do a simple test. If you look down at your feet, can you lift your big toe without your little toes? Can you lift your little toes without your big toe? The first time I was asked to do that at the, the Andrea Spina seminar thing, I was like, I do jiu-jitsu. I use my feet all the time. I totally know how to do this stuff. I looked down, and he's like, yeah, most of you are looking at your, down at your toe like you've never seen it before. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen my big toe before. I have, I'm looking at it. It, it was you know, obviously a minuscule version of what I imagine paralyzed people feel. They look down and they like can't, they see it, they know that it's there, they should be able to control it, and they can't. And after doing 
some about a week's worth of work, I was able to now have full range control of my big toe. And that can be the lead of everything. Like that's connected to the whole chain of kinetics through your body. And you need to be able to, to do that. Um, that's, that's basically it. So the, um, I posed this question to one of the groups that um, uh, I'm part of as, as a result of studying with them. Um, and this guy, Stephen Bourne, uh, responded with, I would say that if you can't achieve a range actively and continue to use momentum or other external force as a means to achieve said position, your body is going to compensate somehow to complete the intended action. If you continue to execute the movement that you do not have active control over, right, so like I, yeah, I push off my toe, but I can't really control it there, um, the compensatory tissues will continually be stressed over their capacity and lead to injury. You have to have active control before your body can safely go there without conscience. Um, so that was better said than I think I could um, from one of my peers <laughs> about why, why it's injury prevention stuff. And so you, you post a lot of these, you know, you have an Instagram at Stretch and Align. Which you, is now Move Well Philly. I've, I've changed it because I've, oh, I've been changing it into, into more conscious efforts of things. But Okay, so, but, so uh, and we'll get into where people can follow you on, on, on you know, you, uh, where people can get at you at the end of the interview. But, but you post a lot of these videos of body control. Like there was one where you're sitting in w- like a... You're like a, a 90-90 position yeah, as you would. Or, or oh, I think the one I, with, the, with my gi was uh, just sitting in butterfly and like... Lift? Can you lift yourself up without leaning back and control internal rotation? Which most people go cramp, and I have a whole thing about cramps. By the way, that's one of the things I put on my Instagram is that that cramps are like your friends because it's saying that look, you're in a new territory that you don't quite know yet, but you're expanding your map. You are Lewis and Clark right now. You are going to find new territory and conquer it, and it's not going to be as rocky and full of things trying to kill you really soon. Just just breathing it through it. <laughs> that cramps and shaking when you're trying to do mobility work are kind of a good sign. Like all right. I'm getting into new territory here. I feel a lot better about myself now all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. so, so thanks for that. You should still hydrate and eat bananas, but yeah. it's just, yes, aside from that. Those are just good rules for living anyway. <laughs> sure. Um, so uh, so how long have you been open? Um, I just opened a new studio in, in Philly uh, literally like two weeks ago. Um, I've had a practice for this for just the Thai body work for several years now, um, and but I started making my clients like wave their arms around too much and be like, wait, I know I can put your arm there, but can you raise your arm over your head and let's do a circle with that arm and let's reduce your pain when you're actually, you know, it's different. Like, oh, you feel good when you're with me. I want you to feel good when you're away. And part of the big thing of of the FRC program is trying to educate clients on what they can do with their own bodies, um, how to, what to look for um, as far as where they feel pain, where they might need help, um, and just trying to make people as self-sufficient as possible. I have, my, I have a, a standing post on my Facebook business page that my goal is really to put myself out of business, and I'm nowhere near the knowledge capacity to do that at this point, but you know, one class at a time, getting closer and closer to being able to help more people, um, but you want people to never need you again, and then you know, if that's your true, genuine goal in any business that you have, then I think that people will gravitate towards that. And there's a few billion people in the world, so that would be take a while anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but that would be wonderful if we had the kind of body awareness. Jiu-Jitsu people are generally more body aware than most people. Um, you know, I think most Jiu-Jitsu people can do a reasonably good squat, but not always and things like that. And it's But it's amazing when you get out into this unsheltered world of non-Jiu-Jitsu people that don't use their bodies on a daily basis. And you say, like, get up and down off of the floor. It's amazing how hard it is for people. And everybody has relatives and family and friends that maybe aren't part of the culture that can benefit from doing things as simple as just exploring your own body's movement, you know, until... The, the brain is really smart. It wants your body to be efficient. If you don't use a range of motion or you don't use a language that you used to know or things like that, it's like, all right, because you don't need that anymore. So we're just going to take it away. So you need to practice daily range of motion, practice that language or whatever you want to retain um, in order to maintain it. So that's just want everybody doing that. <laughs> and, yeah, that, the, all of that makes sense. And in terms of your client breakdown, what's the breakdown between jujitsu people and non-jujitsu people? And uh, I have mostly non-jiu-jitsu people right now. Um, I don't know. Some of that might be my fault. Um, I, I definitely have used a lot of my jiu-jitsu friends as ready um, uh, test dummies of some of the things. So they maybe they didn't always get the best that I could have had, too, because there was practicing on them for lower rates or whatever. Um, and hopefully I will, will get in more and more of them as I get better in my practice. But um, So I would say most of my clientele are, are, are non-jiu-jitsu people. Um, Part of that also is I, I 
jujitsu people don't always have a lot of money to spare because we're spending it all on geese and stuff. So as a business, it's in my best interest to have people that are outside as well, as much as I love my guys. I girls. think every jujitsu person listening to this podcast is nodding along with you yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We're a, I love you, but, yeah. <laughs> but I still got to pay the bills. <laughs> well, so so do you have a success story? I'm, I'm curious if you have a success story from, that, uh, from a particular client where you've sound, seen somebody make great progress that has been particularly validating for you. And if you want to break that down into jujitsu, and non-jujitsu categories if you're able to do that you can but like I'm just curious about what for, for you as, in, as, as someone that leads people through this what's been most rewarding for you some of the people well I mean from the body work over the last few years I've had plenty of people that like had migraines and they don't have it for weeks because of doing the Thai therapy stuff the Asian style medicine um, I've had people that whatever pain they had just is gone afterwards and i don't expect that it's fantastic if you can do that in one session great but i'm never <laughs> going there promising that um for the active stuff since it's newer i don't have as big a body of things to pull from but i will say like uh, a good friend of mine um purple belt uh that i work on pretty regularly um you know i came up and and said hey what's going on with your shoulder and he couldn't lift his arm past like shoulder height and really okay and five minutes later he was doing a full arm circle so sometimes this frc stuff which is basically use of targeted isometrics um in, in the in the beginning stages of it can seem like a bloody miracle you're like oh man I, I get hurt so bad if i try to lift this and five minutes later you're doing a full arm circle and then it's your job to maintain it continue doing that full arm circle all that stuff like the homework is a really important part of it so if anything i'd like to get that driven home with people like to to try and do it on your own don't don't give me money for this stuff. You can maintain a lot of this if you just put a little effort five to 20 minutes a day into doing this stuff where it's a practice thing. Even even a dancer friend of mine who's, uh, you know, using her body in- incredibly in its professional level, we we're working on just sh- circles with her scapula, like making as big a circle as we can. She's like, yeah, we do this in warm-ups all the time, but there's a big defined difference between doing just a circle to warm up and doing a mindful circle where you're trying to make it as big as you can. Can I tuck my shoulder blade in my back pocket? Can I bring it all the way forward? Can I bring all this stuff? And that's kind of the biggest difference um, in the basic homework stuff I've had since since working with this group um, of trying to just be more mindful about things and using your maximum range of motion. Um, one of the books I'm reading in neuroplasticity talks about how as we get older, you basically aren't going to maintain things unless, like new things, unless you try really, really hard at it. So, um, in order to, to have it stick with you. Um, so there's something to that about the use it or lose it in both brain capacity and, and the mobility stuff. Um, but it's not as easy when, after we hit adolescence to learn new skills. Um, everybody knows that kids learn basically osmosis and, um, they're saying like, it makes sense evolutionarily because before a certain age you can't possibly know what will be important for your life um so teach your kids everything you can now (laughs) and then there's a huge calling of synapses and connections in the brain once they hit adolescence and then it's a little harder um to do everything so and then we have to to learn um i don't know all of that makes sense uh one or two last questions like when martial arts people come to you, are they usually coming to you after they've had an injury or are they coming to you for injury prevention or uh, and what should they be doing if they're not doing the right thing? I mean, I, I love the like the prehab quote unquote movement as be, is becoming a lot bigger. Um, and I follow a lot of people on Instagram that are doing really, really inspiring work. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, yes, jujitsu people tend to be more on the side of uh, that's I am injured now. What can I do about it? Um, Josh Vogel is a really great, uh, really super nice black belt and um, also an FRC practitioner up at Balance in in Philadelphia. And uh, and he he said in that the same conversation I put, I said the the conversation breaks down a lot of the time. It's a health and performance. Um, I find that the younger jujitsu people have to be shown some of the cool active range of motion stuff um, that allows you to do like oh like all right I can put. I'm I'm compressed. My elbows are totally compressed in side control. Somebody's on top of me. It'd be great if I could actually generate power from this position. Um, like, all right, I get that. Or like, I have to say like, hey, you want to work on your wrist mobility so that when you post, you don't break something. Uh, <laughs> things along those lines, because the stress is going to go somewhere. And stop doing handstands if you can't bring your hand to a 90 degree um, active range of motion. And then he also added. Uh, Josh also added. Older jujitsu people seem more ready to have the joint health and injury prevention conversation. 
go figure, you know, so learn, learn from <laughs> all your stuff. But I will, I will say I've, I've, I've had both. Um, there's, there's some across the, the spectrum of ages and things. I've had people interested in one or the other, but um, it is, it's my job to figure out how to communicate that better, that this by spending some time and some money on yourself, uh, you will um, be able to prevent bad things from happening in the future. And I mean, the car is the easiest analogy with that. Like, okay, if I, I do preventative maintenance on my car, it saves me thousands and thousands of dollars later. But the same is very true for your body. And for some reason, we tend to not care as much about that as we do about our vehicles. So where can folks find you on on Instagram or any place else if they're interested in becoming a client? I have um, I have two uh, Instagram accounts. I have my, my jiu-jitsu one, which is BJJ Sam. Um, and then my... Uh, my bodywork practice one is Move Well Philly. Um, nothing weird about that, all, all one word. And uh, MoveWellPhilly.com is the website that I just built um, primarily now. The, the best representation of me is the MoveWellPhilly.com. And then I also have a, a, a Tumblr that I've been writing jujitsu stuff on for some time, uh, BJJSam.tumblr.com. Digitsu has been, Digitsu.com, one of my sponsors, has been fantastic with. Uh, Allowing, um, putting forth some of my articles with that too. My most recent one was about the different types of uh, white belts that exist in, in the world and how to encourage them to keep coming to train. So I definitely give them a shout out and, and my gi sponsor, Fushida, I guess, while I'm at it. I'm not used to this. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It, it, it's, yeah. it's really important to shout out all <laughs> yes. the sponsors right at the important. end. So. There's two, so I got <laughs> right And my, my wonderful training partners at Gracie Academy Philadelphia that I'm trying to keep healthy as much as I can. Awesome. <laughs> well, best of luck tomorrow, Sam, and thanks so much for Thank talking you. to us today. Thank you very much for having me. Hopefully it didn't go on too long. <laughs> all right. Thank you. For our second interview, we have a local boy makes good story. Michael Santos, who used to train out here with Moreno BJJ, as you'll hear discussed in the interview, and is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, has moved on to competing at high-level Muay Thai fights. His most important and highest-profile fight yet is going to be this coming weekend at Lion Fights number 29 on May 27th at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. It's a really big deal. We're really happy for Mike, and we wanted to get him on the show before his fight happened. And so Trevor and I talked to him, and here was the result. So since Michael Santos left us, he has become quite the avid Muay Thai aficionado, and his career's progressed. He's fought and won a lot out in Denver, Colorado, and now he's got pro- what is probably the biggest striking bout of his career. Was that fair to say? Yes, definitely. It's a uh, line fight. It's going to be in uh, Connecticut, Foxwood Casino. It's got uh, world-class Muay fighters. It's going to be a good card. I'm going to fight uh, somebody who's 10-4 and four currently, and he's a uh, WKA champion. It's going to be a good fight. So how did you get approached for this fight? Yeah, so it's, it's actually pretty funny. I just saw a search on Facebook saying that they need the last minute replacement. And I just hopped on it, and... They gave me the fight, so I feel pretty lucky. I feel like it's a good opportunity, and I just, um, you know, just took it. That's great to hear. Are you still doing jiu-jitsu at all, or are you just really focused on Muay Thai? I'm actually not doing as much jiu-jitsu as I should be. I just I just started training Muay Thai to actually just get better at my stand-up. But I fell in love with the sport, and I just kept continuing and kept going on with it. But uh, What gym what are you at right now out there? So it's Muay Thai, Colorado, and in mm-hmm. Colorado, he coaches uh, Oscar Martinez, the former pro boxer and pro Muay Thai fighter. You got a guy right with me who, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you, uh, how did you come across him? Looked around, went online, searched around, tried a few gyms out, and uh, I actually went to Dwayne Ludwig's gym for a while, for a little bit, but that didn't work out, and uh, stuck with with Oscar and Muay Thai, Colorado. What happened with the What happened with the Dwayne Ludwig spot? Because I know that's like a that's kind of becoming like a go-to spot for people who want to go out there and train. Oh yeah, it's definitely a good school. Uh, it just didn't didn't work out for me. Didn't uh, mesh over there. But yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's a very big thing, man. Uh, when you have striking coach, oh, it's for any combat sport, it's just having a coach that you really mesh with and and uh, a team that you can really work and grow with. Some place in time that you like to just click right away at North uh, Colorado. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it seems like you've, you've definitely taken off since walking in the doors there, man. It's really great to see your progress because a lot of 
So Trevor mentioned your old days fighting here in North Carolina, where we all miss you. And it, I'm under the impression that you got your started your start training in combat sports, training jujitsu with Jerry Moreno. Yeah, actually started training with Jerry Moreno uh, once I got stationed in North Carolina. Training with uh, Max Masters, CJ Murdoch, Joshua Murdoch, Dan Sandlin, all the uh, all the high all the high level jujitsu uh, guys over there. So, so from jujitsu, you got into MMA, and how many how many amateur fights? Did you have out here in North Carolina? Actually, we only had four MMA fights. I went two and two, so it wasn't really an impressive record. Uh, once I got out of the military, I just moved to Denver, Colorado. Started picking up Muay Thai to improve my striking, and like I said, I just stuck with Muay Thai. They just fell in love What do you think the biggest factor in your being able to improve so quickly in Muay Thai has been? Is it coaching, more time to train? Is it the gym? What What, what do you think it is? Oh, definitely a lot of factors. Uh, I'm in a really good team right now, really good gym, and definitely have a lot more time now that I'm out of the military to train, and I feel like that's, that's what pushed me forward uh, a lot faster. Is How does Kayla feel uh, about you doing primarily more time now instead of jiu-jitsu? Which be, she's pretty cool about you competing in, in the main first place, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's a little tentative at first. Uh, so there's much more space yeah, now yeah. instead of, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, she's fully supportive. She supports me in whatever I do, and she's always there for my side. So I'm really grateful for her. Do you have any upcoming plans after this uh, big wine fight show coming up? Well, actually, after this fight, I was actually thinking about going back to MMA, chopping out my jiu-jitsu, and making a return back to MMA if I do well in this fight. That'd be awesome. What do you know about the uh, about your upcoming opponent here at Lionfly? You said that he was a former WKA champion. He has a pretty solid amateur record so far. Do you uh, have a name or what camp he's from? So he's from uh, uh, Team Link in Worcester, Massachusetts. He's named okay. Julian Nguyen. Mm-hmm. He's actually uh, one of the assistant instructors over there at the school, and he's been fighting for a while. Um, he has a few titles. I know he's a WKA champion. He's a little taller than me, about 5'11", but uh, it's going to be a 147 fight. So it should be interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there any way for us to uh, view the undercard? I know uh, when Aristelia, a homie of mine, fought on the undercard, I think we had a hard time trying to find like a feed for it or any kind of video. Right, I'm not sure if there's actually going to be a feed. Um, I was told that it would be televised or it would be, uh, it, would, it could be viewable online, but I'm not sure yet. But I'll let you guys know. Yeah, and we'll put that out on the on the Facebook uh, as well as you know all our other social media feeds. If if because if we're able to watch it, uh, we'd love to watch it. And so to follow up up on Trevor's question, um, you know you know a little bit about your opponent about what camp he trains at. How do you think you match up stylistically with him? How do you what's your game plan for this fight and how do you see it going? Definitely uh, staying in the pocket, being aggressive, um, just pushing the pace. Uh, picking my shots because he's going to be a long, long-range fighter, about 5'11", so he's going to be uh, trying to keep the distance. He's a southpaw, so he's going to throw a lot of left kicks. Um, throwing a lot of right kicks, right crosses, staying to his left side. I don't know, just basic, uh, basic strategy. That's like you're really big in southpaws, man. That's always one of those, like, ah, oh, God, i got to pull the whole game plan back and make it nice and simple. Yeah, it's definitely weird. So I've, I've had a lot of my teammates playing softball, and, you know, I'm really grateful that they're uh, actually trying to make that adjustment. So it's a lot harder, harder for them to fight softball. So. Oh, yeah. Um, how do you feel competition-wise? You know, what, how do you feel about your mindset going into just a, your first couple of Muay Thai fights, you know? You had your MMA fights, and then you've had your distance matches. Did you feel any kind of... Uh, new anxiety when you start getting your first voice break, your first voice by going, oh man, this whole time I have to be on the feet. So I've heard some some people I've talked to that might have like a wrestling pedigree or like, you know, guys with great jiu-jitsu background that might go from MMA to maybe a, a Muay Thai fight or like all of a sudden, oh, all I can do is just stand. Oh no. Or were you kind of relaxed and, and happy to get in there? Oh, definitely. My first couple fights, I was in the hell. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean... 
as soon as I as soon as I got in the ring, I was I just completely blanked everything out, and I just focused on the opponent and let the drill do the work. Yeah, absolutely. And just focused on what I needed to do, and then I got through it. But as soon as I started racking up wins, the more comfortable and comfortable I got in the ring. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's natural to just feel a little nervous and feel a little scared for oh, always, a couple yeah. fights, especially if it's a new style. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel comfortable now. I feel like I know what I should do for this fight. I've been training hard. I'm with a good team. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you get used to it, definitely. You mentioned that this is a late replacement fight, that they sort of put out a call for, for a late replacement. How much notice exactly did you have uh, that you were going to get the fight? A little about, a little over two weeks, so it's pretty short notice. But I've been training, I've been staying, staying ready, staying on my diet, on my uh, conditioning and all that, so I'll be, it'll be a good fight. Do you have any plans to maybe find more outs, maybe a, just a boxing match or like that? You said that your coach, uh, Mr. Martinez, was a former pro boxer, so maybe do you see yourself taking any kind of boxing matches in the future? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm always open to uh, any kind of fight, but pro boxing match would be pretty fun. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, anything, I mean, MMA, kickboxing, boxing, mm. um, I mean, I'm open to it. If I opportunity arises, I can train for it. It's definitely a different game from kickboxing. It's more things to worry about when you're kickboxing. It's just different games, you know what I mean? More head movement for boxing, more footwork, definitely. Yeah, I've, I've always been really happy to see people take those outlets and fights because it helps them improve on little things. It's like, hey, my boxing is watching. Let me train for a boxing match. They kind of help right. you fill in all the gaps with the new uh, focus line, kind of like what you did for things that, hey, I need to see my striking up all of a sudden, if you know, I'm taking more shot size. So. Yeah, man, it's definitely a different game. I don't think it's a good idea to jump right into a boxing match. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say just jump into it, but it might be good to get maybe a boxing match in there for you, get some everything cleaned up and polished and Mike Santo 3.0. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'm open to that. So you mentioned that th- your opponent is five foot eleven, and the fight takes place at one forty-seven. So he's probably going to have significant reach on you, yes? Yes, definitely. Um, it's going to be a challenge, and um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard fight, but you know, I got I got my strategies, and I, I know what to do. Uh, hopefully, how much I find, but I can do my job. You know. How are you going to set up the double leg? Get in there, man. Just head first, tackle it. How do you interact with the cultural aspects of Muay Thai? Like, do you do the... Doing, doing the Y-Crew. Uh, so the Y-Crew, uh, he actually teaches the Y-Crew. Um, so I've been, I have been doing the Y-Crew for, uh, for my Muay Thai fights. Um, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful dance. I feel more calm after the dance. It's part of the culture, definitely. And, you know, it's... It's something that calms your mind and just pays respect to all the former fighters and all the former, uh, to your coach and to your gym. So, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. So, you know, I'm not going to make you pick a favorite, but you're somebody who has done multiple combat sports and someone who has competed in MMA, jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, and someone who's interested maybe in boxing at some point. How do you break down, I'm not going to make you pick between these arts and choose a favorite, but how do you differentiate between them in your mind? Do you, like, what what do you get from Muay Thai that you don't get from Jiu-Jitsu, that you don't get from MMA, or vice versa? That's a hard question. I mean, I feel like Muay Thai is kind of like fire, and Jiu-Jitsu is more of like the water, more of the commerce sport. It's just a different feel when they're in the ring when you're hitting somebody as hard as you can with Muay Thai and I just feel like I have a lot more fun doing Muay Thai right now. Um, for Jiu-Jitsu, it's definitely a lot, uh, maybe a little more technical than Muay Thai. I don't know if I'm wrong with that one, but. Well, I mean, there, there's always like a certain like view to it. You know, you have people that treat tech like Jiu-Jitsu like checkers. You have people that treat it like chess. Same thing like Muay Thai. You have people that treat it like checkers. You have people that treat it like chess. It's all right. about the overall approach, so yeah. But you really could say there is definitely a bit more of a, uh, 
uh, like the, the, the smoothness, like the flow, he's like the scrambles and stuff like that. Jiu-Jitsu is really something that you can't see anywhere else. You'll, you'll see great exchanges in Muay Thai, but um, you know, I think it's still all about your approach and objective with chess. Right, right. I mean, that's definitely, definitely a good point. I mean, Jiu-Jitsu, I feel like a lot of players play Jiu-Jitsu in a way that kind of makes it boring to uh, like a regular viewer. And I feel like Muay Thai, there's really no boring matches. Yeah, it's hard to find um, a really boring Muay Thai fight. Right, right. Um, what really kind of, I wouldn't say like, I don't know, kind of like turned me off on Jiu-Jitsu was how a lot of competitive Jiu-Jitsu players would just sit on their butt and, and butt screwed and play. Oh, hard. The, the, the guard pullers, kind of like in uh, yeah. boxing, you have like the guys that, kind of like how you, you might compare him to boxing like a Bayweather where he's very, technically, he's on another level, but like the general viewers are like, oh, this is boring. Right, exactly. But I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not like dissing anybody who plays that style. I don't know. It's just not for me. Yeah. So I will say this uh, about that. Stylistically, you know, and this is distinct from from the butt scooting, follow guys around on your on on your ass sort of sort of jujitsu. But I will defend guard pulling, uh, and and I'll defend it simply because. And this is going to get me in trouble with with all manner of people. Uh, but but like I, I think pulling guard is justified and something that we should work. And like I have I have sort of a. Uh, I have sort of two reasons for that. Um, the first is, if I am able to pull someone into my guard, that's an offensive movement where I bring somebody to the ground who didn't want to be there. And yeah, ideally you don't want to be on the bottom, but sometimes, sometimes you got to be. And from my perspective, I also think of uh, a smaller person. Like if jiu-jitsu is a self-defense art, we really need to work our guards. And for example, somebody like me who is older and smaller... Um, although I do have a wrestling background, if someone like I don't know, let's say let's say Matt Messer wants to put me on my back, <laughs> Matt Messer is going to be able to put me on my back, even if even if Matt Messer doesn't have as much wrestling training as me. And so it's very important if a if a larger, stronger opponent puts you on your back that you know what to do while you're there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it could it could work um, guard pulling, but is there a reason why you don't see that in like high level MMA fights or? Um, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't see that as an effective strategy if you're actually fighting somebody who knows what they're doing. Well, and this is, here's the part where I, and, and I, I agree with that. And this is part of where, where, this is where I get myself in trouble because these days in MMA, like if you're going to be a successful professional or even high level amateur MMA fighter, you have to be well-rounded. You know, if you don't know jujitsu, if you don't know striking, if you don't, if you don't, if you're terrible in any aspect of the game, you're going to get exposed. Whereas in early MMA, um, you know, it was a much more of an analog for a self-defense situation where it's like the other guy might be bigger and stronger than you because they didn't have weight classes at the early UFCs, but but that person is not likely to be well trained in all aspects of the martial arts either. And so in a lot of Hoist's early MMA fights, Hoist pulled guard, and people forget that. And you know, and, and these days, especially with the hoist schools being so focused on self-defense, a lot, there's a lot of anti-guard pulling sentiment. That's like, oh, you know, you should never do that. You should never. But if you look back, hoist pulled guard against Ken Shamrock. Hoist pulled guard against Jason Delucia. Hoist pulled guard against Pat Smith. And people forget that everything is situational. And and so and it, and it relates to what Michael was saying earlier in that, okay, if you Michael, if you go back in MMA and you enter the cage against somebody like. You know, like Casey Johnson or somebody who has been fighting a while, who is well-rounded, or JoJo, right? You know that he's not going to be terrible anywhere. You know that he's trained grappling. You know that he's trained striking. You know that he knows how to wrestle or anti-wrestle. But if a dude in the parking lot starts to, you know, starts to buck up because you took his parking space or whatever, the dude probably doesn't have a very good worm guard. Or, you know, he's probably not going to have a good tie plumb. So. I, still, I still wouldn't use a uh, worm guard on somebody. <laughs> what if it's a? What if he's wearing a kimono, or he's like? What if he's like? Uh, I don't know. What What if it's like a school a school crossing guard? You could worm guard one of those like vests that he has. Get style points. This one is obviously a self defense. Uh, Matt, as someone that that you know is an accomplished uh, belt grappler, um, and you've gone to Muay Thai for striking, do you find it quite important for like the 
even the average jiu-jitsu practitioner that takes like the that blue belt that doesn't compete or football doesn't compete, for him to still take multi classes to probably understand maybe that self-defense aspect. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think everyone should be well-rounded. If you're just doing jiu-jitsu just for the sport aspect jiu-jitsu, and you're really not looking to fight or don't really care about the self-defense aspect, then that's fine. But if you don't know how to throw strikes and you don't know how to close that distance, then it's, it's really well, not you're, 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 Even for, like, the person that is just, like, a recreational, like, you know, they want to do sports to get to. Like, I understand that right. striking might not be, like, on their mind, but do you think that that, that person that primarily does sports to get to should do some striking classes every now and then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, being well-read, like, people forget that, too, that are jujitsu guys. Like, people that, and not just sport jujitsu guys either, for, forget this, that jujitsu is supposed to be a complete martial art, right? Like, uh, you know, Gracie jujitsu schools are supposed to include striking, they're supposed to include takedowns, and so I think, I think people, you know, and, and, and you understand why it is, right? Because grappling is fun, getting punched in the face is only fun for a select few. Maybe it's fun for you guys, but it's not fun for me. And so it's really easy to think, oh, I just want to roll. But, but yeah, like you should be well-rounded. And, as, and you know, switching gears a little bit, as someone with, with this perspective, uh, Michael, do you ever think about teaching? Is, 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 is owning a gym or uh, otherwise serving in an instructional capacity, is that something that's in your long-term goals? I mean... Yeah, maybe in the near, maybe in the far, far future, once I'm done fighting, you know, once I'm done with everything else, I'm really, I uh, really need to work on my skills. It's actually really harder than you think it is to be a, to be a good coach for fighters. There are a lot of good fighters out there, but it doesn't necessarily make them a good coach, if that makes sense. No, that makes a perfect sense. I was, I, I was an awful fighter, and I've become an okay coach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, wanna, I wanted to ask you, and you can apply this to jiu-jitsu, MMA, or Muay Thai, or perhaps even all of the above, but I'd like you to talk about your two or three favorite training partners that you've had, and, and what made those particular training partners useful or valuable, or just, just good in influences to be around. Yeah, so Jonathan Widerko, um, Alan Mathana Lechuga, and Brandon White. Um, they're all pretty good sparring partners. They have their own individual styles. And they're not, like, you don't go crazy during sparring and try to hurt you. So they actually try to help you. If you have a fight coming up, they'll try to help you work with the style of, uh, the style that you need to work on and what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are. Uh, and overall, just great people, great, great guys to hang out with. What about jiu-jitsu sparring partners from your days at Moreno BJJ? Oh, definitely. I learned, I learned a lot from Matthew Messier. Back in the day, uh, pretty much all my striking was from uh, just training with Matthew in a small little makeshift garage. He's hitting bags and just beating each other up. And, the, the, uh, the boxing ring in the back of the warehouse? Yeah. <laughs> so, funny stories. The, the guy, the guy who's, who owns that warehouse his son trains at Gracie Raleigh and comes by on Sundays now, man. It's a small world. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I still talk to Matt. He, I learned a lot from him, and he's still a good friend of mine. I feel like he and Jerry are opening a place up together now. Oh, Matt and Jerry? Yeah, they're opening up uh, Moreno Jiu-Jitsu or, or, yeah, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu at Newborn or Moreno Jiu-Jitsu at Newborn, I believe. Is that stuff? I did see that. That's exciting for Matt. I, that, that, that probably means we should get the masher on the show at some point. Yeah. Oh, that'll, that'll be a wild, crazy show. Probably more exciting this one, <laughs> So, if you want to make it exciting, let me, let me ask you about this. What is your favorite combat sports and or video game related Halloween costume that you have ever worn? Um, I actually want to dry you, Street Fighter. <laughs> And I was in like high school. And my wife went as uh, wife went as me. What's funny about this is I, I wanted I, I, what's funny about this is I, I I was asking because I saw you in your little Mac costume, and I thought that's what you were gonna say. Oh yeah, that was actually for uh, Denver Thomas guy. Halloween. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm the worst. Yeah, so the Denver Thomas guy is actually coming up in a couple months. 
I got to figure out another costume for that one. Mm-hmm. When they do a cave tag and cousin cat poll of what you should be dressed as for <gasps> martial arts or video game scene. You should do that. Yeah. <laughs> a female character or something uh, completely off. Not even like my skin color or anything. Uh, a, a thousand times yes. Innovative.